0: Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week five, day five of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 14, 21 through 28. Well, Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us? God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Without, let's jump into God's word we're to be reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 14, starting in verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They're speaking about Derby, is where we are. They had gone from Lystra, Derby, and, and they were in Iconium. And so they there. Paul got stoned, remember, and so now they're backtracking. And they're going to all these places where they've been attacked, including Antioch. This is crazy to me. Again, I said yesterday that, I I mean, Paul has just got guts. He's just, there's no fear in this man. He doesn't care what's coming his way in light of the gospel. And I think you can be greatly emboldened when the Lord has given you the kind of clarity that he's given Paul. From the day of his conversion, right, the Holy Spirit... Jesus appears to him and blinds him and he goes to, he goes to Ananias and the Lord tells Ananias, you've got to tell him what he's going to suffer for my name, right? Day one, Paul knows it's going to be tough. Sometimes <clears throat> when things are going to be tough, it's the grace of the Lord that he tells us in advance, right? Because when we know that it's him, we can go through almost anything. We, we can go through almost anything when we know it's him. We don't know if, if it's him. We get lost in confusion and disarray and, and disenfranchisement, disenchantment. But when he speaks clearly like this on the front end, we know it's him. We really can't go through almost anything. We see here that Paul is going to go through almost everything for the sake of the gospel. Verse 22, they were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. No, no kidding, Paul. <laughs> Paul knows a thing or two about that already. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's not a young man anymore, but he's not old. He's, he's in that middle zone, and he's already begun to suffer some things. So he knows a little bit about what he's talking about. And this is something that we need to take to heart today is that there are hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is in some ways proverbial. And what I mean by that is it's not always true. It's not a promise that we're going to go through hardships for the kingdom of God. There's many people that the history of mankind that have not endured hardships like Paul's talking about, right? Right? So this is kind of proverbial in nature. is. And a proverb, again, is something that's mostly true most of the time. <clears throat> not everyone goes through hardships for the kingdom of God. Just because you don't go through hardships doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Now, sometimes if you're avoiding hardships that everyone else that's a Christian is going through, then uh, maybe you need to stop and ask yourself, am I really following the Lord here? Am I following my own comfort? Am I following something else? But just because you don't go through hardships doesn't mean you're not a Christian. And we don't have to go looking for hardships, right? To try and justify ourselves. We don't need to be saying, well, I've gone through this hardship. But we don't need to like grasp at straws, right? This is not a promise. This is not like if you didn't go through hardships, you're not a Christian. No, that's not what he's saying. It's, it's again, I want to make it very clear. This is proverbial in nature, but most of the time, for most Christians throughout most of history, it's been it's been tough. There's persecution that comes. I mean, there's in a lot of cases, I mean, very real persecution: losing your job, losing your house, losing family members, um, martyrdom. I mean, those are very real things for a lot of people throughout Christian history. We can't diminish those, and so there there will be hardships that come. A great number of people, not necessarily for everyone. Verse 23 Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. I, I think that's powerful. We've already read several times where, when there's leadership decisions and, and there's things like this going on, big changes, there's always prayer and fasting. And this is, again, I think something that we've lost in the West, we've lost in the, in the, the Christian church in, in America where I'm at, is, is, is fasting is downplayed. But we see it all through the book of Acts. Jesus told us in the Gospels that we would fast after he's gone. And we see it all throughout the book of Acts. And we especially see it when making these leadership decisions. I think so much of, of what we see as bad leadership You know, when we see a pastor and have these huge scandals and things like that, you've got to think back all the way back years and years in their past. If someone, if the leadership that elevated them and platformed them, if you want to use that term, when they were young in the faith, when they were being kind of put out there because they were charismatic, because they could speak, was anybody praying and fasting over that decision to give this person a platform? Because that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas are doing, and there's no Instagram, there's no YouTube, there's none of this kind of stuff, where they can get this massive worldwide audience, and they're still praying and fasting over these leaders in each one of these churches. I think that's something that we need to think about today. Is just because, well, hey, you know, I want this this person to preach, or I want them to take over, you know, and and you know they don't have a massive Instagram following, they don't have all of these kinds of things. Well, nobody that attains this kind of like. Worldwide status, we see these megachurch pastors and people like that. They didn't start there. They got their start somewhere else. And if people had been listening to the Holy Spirit, they've been praying and fasting over these people, would it have changed it? Maybe not. Maybe not. But I think that if you just look across, if you serve, I mean, each individual case, maybe not. But if you surveyed all of Christianity, all of this kind of nonsense that we're dealing with right now, I do think if we prayed and fasted, over our decisions on leadership, we'd have a lot less of what we see. Continuing on verse 24. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. i Paul's right there because, again, I mentioned this before, I've been to Perga, actually honeymooned in the city of Italia. If you look at it on a modern map, it's in uh, southwestern Turkey. It's called Antalya, A N T A L Y A. The ancient city is Italia. Went down to the ancient port, and it's still there. I mean, the, the 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 port where the ships can sail in and out. It's it's there. You can go see Hadrian's Gate that they built around 100 A.D. and it's it's, it's a very fascinating ancient city. And and again, I happen to have honeymooned there, and that's that's a different story. But uh, it's a beautiful place, and so this this just having been there, I love this uh, little detail here because I can picture these places. And uh, as as kind of a a trained engineer, architect type person myself, um, I when I when I go there and I see the ruins that are there now, I can imagine what they looked like in their splendor when Paul and Barnabas were seeing them, and what these cities looked like in. In their time, and I'm sure they were amazing and beautiful. And you know, it's, it's probably um, tough. You know, they're not exactly jet setting here, right? They're getting on boats, small boats are getting tossed by the waves, but there's still probably something exciting. That they're traveling around preaching the gospel. They're seeing signs and wonders and miracles. They're seeing people getting saved. This is an exciting moment. So they're kind of finished this first journey. Remember, they've, they've gone to um, Cyprus, then they've come into what we now call Turkey, and they've gone around kind of the south-central part of Turkey. They've suffered. They've seen the hand of the Lord in power. They've seen people come to know the Lord. And now they're on their way back to um, Antioch, Syrian Antioch to tell everyone about what's happened. Remember, I said that there are multiple Antiochs, and here we see there's Pisidian Antioch, and and they're going back to um, the Antioch that it never says which Antioch it is, but most people call it Syrian Antioch. And what this was was when Alexander the Great was conquering the known world. Um, my goodness, I believe it's his father was Antiochus the second or something like that. Maybe he was Antiochus the first, but. Um, his father's name was Antiochus. And so as he was conquering the world, the, the kind of the known world at that time, he would uh, start new towns or take over towns and rename them after his father. Um, the There were also cities that he named after himself, like Alexandria, Egypt, was, he, was a city that he named after himself, after Alexander the Great, Alexander. And so, you know, This is why there are multiple uh, Antiochs, and there's actually multiple, there were multiple Alexandrias in the ancient world. So that's why we've got the two Antiochs. Verse 26. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace. Oh yeah, we, we did that. So moving on, 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how they had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time With the disciples. So here we see that Paul and Barnabas, they finished again this this first missionary journey, and they get to come back and they get to they they get to share with everyone what the Lord had done. And this is this is a powerful moment. These people prayed over them, fasted over them. The Holy Spirit spoke and said, Set them out and, and send them. And they sent them. And they've they've been gone for a while. It doesn't Luke doesn't tell us exactly how long they've been gone But when we think about how long it takes to would have taken to sail in those days How long it would have taken to walk I imagine they've been gone for at least six months At least um, I know some some scholars think that each one of these missionary journeys Took upwards of, of two years Except for the ones where it talks about where, where Paul's gone much longer than that Like when he goes to Ephesus He's going to stay in Ephesus alone for three years And so the, these, these journeys, they're not fast And so they've come back after a long time away and Where their only communication could have been Sending an emissary from somewhere And we know that we see in Paul's epistles He did that on a regular basis Probably later after this missionary journey um, They could send letters But letters often went with those messengers Those emissaries when they would send them And so there's very little communication coming back to Antioch so they get to come back and they get to hear about all that they've really partnered together on. And that's one of the things that we even today that we need to understand is that when we're sending missionaries out, when we fund missionaries, when we pray for them, we fast over them, we're partnering with them. Right? Everyone can't go. Everyone can't go, but some can. And we probably need we need more that should and 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 can but those that stay we pray over them we 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 support them financially we do those things and then we partner with them and when we hear these stories it's like i got to be a small part in that and it's powerful it can be life changing i know i know people i have a a dear friend where when we went on a mission trip many years ago and when we were going on the mission trip his parents were not super into the idea of him having to raise money amongst their church friends. And so this friend was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to raise money. And I was like, no, 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 we are going to do this. We're you're going, we're going to, I don't care if you don't raise the money, the Lord will provide. And he wasn't really able to raise hardly any money, but the rest of our team, we raised just enough for him to go as well. We, we were able to raise extra and he went, so the Lord provided for him. And this friend of mine is still a missionary to this day Uh, where we went. And uh, incidentally, after what the Lord did through that missionary trip and what the Lord did in his heart, the Lord changed his family. And then, you know, his entire family became, you know, uh, evangelists for, hey, help, support, and they're doing amazing things. And, and they caught that bug of they didn't go and they weren't really super into it on the front end, but man, the Lord got a hold of them and they didn't even go. It was just one of their loved ones went. And so I would just want to encourage you from all that, participate in missions one way or another. Go on short-term trips. If you're, if you're young or you have the ability in life to go on long-term trips, year, five years, go. Be a long-term missionary, do it. We need people spreading the gospel. If you don't have that, that's not what the Lord's called you to. Support them financially. Support them through prayer. And really pray for them. Make a habit of of you know, putting the magnet on your fridge or setting an alarm on your phone or something, but really remember to pray for them. It can be very powerful and it, it draws you in. You get to be a partner with them. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time.